I want you to take your shoes off. Out of solidarity with, uh, some of you have already taken your shoes off, but (laughs) out of solidarity with Moses in this story, I'd like for us to be thoroughly grounded this morning in this place of worship. Let us listen to the reading of Scripture. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jephro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. And he looked, and the bush was blazing, and yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer, remove the shoes from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said, I am who I am. He said further, Thus shall you say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus shall you say, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever and this is my title to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are no volunteers in Scripture. Near as I can tell, there's nobody in Scripture who's like that kid in the third grade on the front row who keeps going, ah, me, me, call on me, call on me. All we have in Scripture is a God who calls and people who are drafted, drafted for God's purposes. 
Every bush is burning with the presence of the living God. It all depends on who is willing to listen. I love the story of the call of Moses here in Exodus chapter 3. I love it because of how much is revealed about God in such a little piece of territory. And I love it because Moses is so very human, so very much one of us. In the story this morning, God is adopting people called Hebrews. They are in Egypt, and God has heard their cry. Now, the interesting thing about this name Hebrews that we write with a capital letter is that it comes from a Semitic word, apiru. And apiru is a derisive name for gypsies, riffraff, leftovers, people who don't have a green card. Those folk on the wrong side of town, they're all apiru. Nobody wants to go around the apiru. And that's the root of the name for these people. In our story this morning, Moses is on to his second career. You remember that he was raised in the house of Pharaoh and was got, he got an education and he was headed for a job in government, probably in administration. And he became angry one day when he saw a soldier beating an apiru, a slave. And Moses killed the taskmaster, and then he had to run away. And so now he's on to his second career. He's become a Bedouin. He lives way out there in the wasteland between the Fertile Crescent and the rich nation of Egypt. He's out there raising sheep. He gets married. He has a child. He's minding his own business, tending the flock. And in the story... He's out there one day, and there is a strange sight. It's a bush that is burning, but not burned up. And so Moses leaves his path. He leaves the road he was on, and he turns aside to see what this is about. And there he encounters the angel of the Lord, which is the Hebrew way of saying God was there. And he hears... Now, the big surprise is not that a mesquite bush catches fire and doesn't burn up. The big surprise in this passage is that the Lord God announces that he has heard the cries of the Apiru down in Egypt, that he has listened to the pleas of the poor, that he has been hurt in God's own heart. That's the big surprise in this passage. For all the ancient people understood that the gods were friends of Pharaoh and the powerful. Because Pharaoh said they were and because Pharaoh had all the gold and the great temples and everyone had to bow down to Pharaoh as the representative of the gods. Everybody knew the gods liked the rich and the famous. That's the way the ancient world operated. And no god would waste time with the leftovers. So the great surprise in this passage is not the burning bush, but the burning heart of God. I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt. You mean the gypsies? And I know their suffering. And I will send you to them. 
There are two ways to read this moment of revelation, this moment of God saying, here I am and this is what I'm like. The first way is to say that God has decided to pick the Hebrews and only the Hebrews as God's chosen people. And if you take this interpretation, then God does not particularly care about Palestinians or Serbians or Nigerians or immigrants, whether legal or illegal, or gay people, or ex-offenders. God's care is for the chosen people. Those are chosen. Everybody else is left on the bench. There are certain orthodoxies, Jewish and Christian, who read it this way. The Mormons read it this way. Rastafarians read it this way. They know who the chosen people are. And everybody else, they're sort of just out there on the fringe. But we read it differently. We Presbyterians see this as the revelation that God hates suffering, that God hates injustice, that God listens to the cries of the poor, all the poor, and that at this particular time God chooses this group of Hapiru to both be rescued, and to serve God's purposes, and that at other times God will choose other apiru because God wants to show God's compassion, that God's heart burns with it. We read it this way because God says to these very Hebrews when they get to the land of promise, God says to them, remember These are wells you did not dig and vineyards you did not plant and houses you did not build. So remember, you were once slaves, Apiru, in Egypt, and now you are to be kind to the Apiru in this land. The stranger, the widow, the orphan, the leftovers, whether they are Hebrews or not, whether they look like you or not, that's the instruction given as these people generations later enter the land of promise. We read it this way because of the prophets like Amos and Hosea who complain that the Israelites are busy going to the temple while ignoring the poor who stand outside the gates. We read it this way because of a man from Nazareth. We remember all the time he spent paying attention to sinners and outcasts and Samaritans and women whether they had a good reputation or not. We understand that God's love is a whole lot bigger than one chosen group. And God's intention for compassion and justice is a whole lot wider than any one roll call. In this story in Exodus, we see the very heart of God burning with the desire to end the suffering of the slaves, to bring them liberation and blessing and promise. This is what God is like, the God of the Bible. And it's documented not only in the parables of Jesus, it's documented all the way back to this moment of a burning bush. God's heart is revealed. The church's concern for the poor today, its desire to help the refugees, its longing to promote peace in Palestine and Israel, its struggle to stop human trafficking, its desire to build clean water systems, 
its commitment to build schools for people in many lands, some of whom barely have houses to live in. All of this traces back to that fire and to the God who burns with compassion. This is the big surprise in the passage. And there's a second one. God says, because I have heard their cry, I will send you, Moses, to set them free. And you will tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. No volunteers. Moses isn't walking around holding his hand up in the air. Just the opposite. If you read the rest of this passage, it goes on for another 10 or 15 verses. Moses comes up with excuse after excuse as to why he is the wrong one and God ought to get somebody else. The surprise is that God sends people, plain, ordinary people. God does not look at Moses and say, well, I've read your resume and you were head of your class and chosen most valuable player and you did really well on the GRE, so I think you're the one I want to send. There's nothing about the qualifications of Moses, but about the decision of God. People are drafted for God's purposes all through the scripture. Abraham and Sarah are told to pack up and head for a new land that they may be blessed and be a blessing to others. Moses is sent back to Egypt where he has a police record. Amos, who lives in the south in Judah, is sent north to the Yankees in Israel to preach the word of God. Saul of Tarsus, a devout Pharisee, is sent to Gentiles to tell them of the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's all through Scripture. The second surprise is that God calls people. Every bush is burning with the presence of God, the God who calls us to do things we never dreamed possible. The ground we walk on is holy ground. Moses says, who am I? You've got the wrong person. Didn't you mean somebody else? Isn't there someone else on this road today? that you were looking for besides me? Yeah, I speak a little Egyptian, but the people there don't listen to me. If I come and say, the Lord sent me, they're going to say, who is that? Tell them I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Who am I that I should go? And the only answer is, God has called and Moses has listened. You see, I have this hunch that there actually were people who walked by that bush all day long, saw it, kept on going, saw it, kept on going. Moses left the path. He turned aside. Moses listened. Moses knew in his own heart about the suffering of those slaves and was not surprised when God spoke to him about them. Sometimes... The bush burns near us and grabs our attention. And we know that we have been grounded in a holy spot and our name has been called. The college town where I went, a little bitty North Carolina town, literally one stoplight here, a gas station up there, a little Methodist church there, an old Presbyterian church on this corner. 
and a railroad track, and this was the kind of southern town where those people, the Apiru, lived on the other side of the tracks. They were mostly dark-skinned people, and the white folk lived up on this side of the tracks. And they tell the story there that one day on a Sunday morning at 11.30 a.m., the fire signal goes off in the town. This is a small town, and fire department is mostly volunteer fire department. The big siren goes off at 11.30, meaning in the middle of the Presbyterian worship service. And it is so distracting that the minister, you know, immediately knows nothing else is going to happen until people find out whether it's their own house that's burned down. And so he quickly says the benediction and dismisses the people. And people go out in the fire. The smoke is coming from across the tracks, and it's only a couple of blocks. And so they, they follow the fire engine, and they walk over there, and they end up in a part of town where they never, ever went. Now, it's only 200 yards, but they never, ever went over there. And they were utterly shocked by the shanties, by the lack of indoor plumbing. We're talking 1962, the lack of indoor plumbing, the streets that were barely streets, no lights, no... And the burning house became a call for that congregation, and that congregation became far more involved on the other side of the tracks, and it led to the development of a whole new housing project with small brick homes so that people could have decent housing to raise their children. The burning house was the call to them that day. They turned aside and they heard their name called. Some heard it with the Hurricane Katrina Some hear it when they go to a Kiwanis Club meeting or a PTA meeting or a neighborhood association. Some people hear their name called when the Holy Spirit puts one of those moments and there is that sign on the wall, now hear this, I'm talking to you. And we know that we are on holy ground. Every bush is burning with the presence of the living God. And over and over again, people are called away from their path to turn aside and to find their heart moved by the need of others. Who am I that I should go? And the answer is, I will go with you. Come and follow me, says Jesus, and I will be with you to the end of the age. God calls, drafts, Names our name, but God always supplies, equips, gives us what we need. I will be with you. Those who listen and follow always find manna in the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit poured out, poured out even in the city that killed Jesus. I will be with you. Those who listen begin to travel toward the land of promise, and they are never alone. For every bush is burning with the presence of God, and we find our feet on holy ground. This is gospel. That God calls, and God goes with us. Let us pray. Lord, we stand on holy ground this day. We come in to worship because you have called our name and you are at work in our lives and in this world that you love. 
Help us follow you day by day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.